0: got a lot of ground to cover today. I'll be quite honest with you. I have never in my life, as long as I've been going to church, I've never heard anybody preach on the sovereignty of God, much less God's will and man's will in the same sermon at one time. Now, I have gone onto the internet and I can find sermons, but not that many. Uh, It is a topic that most people are scared to touch. It's a topic that. It has brought division over the years. That's not my goal today at all, but it is to stretch you and to keep in line with. Uh, all of the, uh, uh, the ideas and, and the whole uh, goal of the sermon series, which is to not exactly answer the questions and tell you exactly how you should believe, although we will put some of that together today and show you some clear-cut answers from Scripture. But really, the series' goal is to help you to understand how to answer those questions. You see, when we come to a text and that text, uh, it bothers us and it seems to be contrary to what we've always heard or what we have always thought we knew about this topic or that topic or how we feel God should be. You see, when we come to that text and we see something that, that seems to be contrary to what we think, we have an option right there. Do we lay down what we think and do we submit to the word of God, even though we don't understand fully, maybe we don't like what it's teaching, but do we submit because we trust and honor God and we believe his word over us? You know, the Bible says that may God be true and every man be a liar. When we get to that place of uh, of seeming contradiction to what we believe, do we submit what we believe? Do we lay down on our face and say, may God be true and I be a liar? Do we say, God changed me because if you are right, then I am wrong if I am against you. Or do we say, this can't mean this because I've always thought this. Or this can't mean this because I just don't feel like God would do that. This can't be. It can't. I've just, I've always been taught that it's this. So how can the Bible say that? It must mean dot, dot, dot. This is the place where we are. This is what we must come to the conclusion that we will be the ones that change. We will be the ones to get on our face. We will be the ones to bow down. We will be the ones to say, I was wrong, and God, you are right. This is the goal of the series. And so as we look at God's will and man's will today, I want you to keep an open mind, not to what I'm teaching, but what the Word of God says. Let me read you something that uh, I, I was been reading lots on this. It's been uh, consuming me for a while now, about 10 years. And so uh, I, I found this quote by C.H. Spurgeon, which uh, is referred to as the Prince of Preachers. And he says this, speaking of the debatable nature and the argumentative nature of this topic. Because don't get me wrong. If you think that I haven't thought, should I even preach this message, you're wrong. I have thought, is there any benefit to preaching something that's, that's controversial? Is there any benefit to preaching something that might, that, that might raise the hairs on the back of some people's necks? But I agree with Spurgeon as I read him that there is great, great benefit when we go to these links to search out the doctrines of God. He says, I believe there is a need for this debate in the finite character of the human mind while the natural lethargy of the church requires a kind of healthy irritation to arouse her powers and to stimulate her exertions. Listen to this. The pebbles in the living stream of truth are worn smooth and round by friction. (sighs) To say it another way, I cannot come here every week Seeking to tickle your ears and make you feel good about the wonderful truths that you already agree with in Scripture. But from time to time, I must come with the sword and chop away that which you have growing on you that should not be there. I must come with the sledgehammer and break you apart so that God might put you back together. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Lord Jesus, we submit all words to you today. Lord Jesus, we come before your throne in complete inadequacy. I know that I have no right to stand here and preach to them. Save the right of your calling on my life. I know, God, that I fail you daily. But I trust in your sovereign grace and the work on the cross. I pray, Lord, that you would take away any chain that binds us, God. Any blinder, Lord, that covers our eyes so that we can't see the truth. God, take away the wax from our ears so that we might hear your wonderful voice and fall flat on our face in complete submission. May you be true and every man be a liar. May Jesus Christ be honored and glorified with every word here today. May we honor him in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's get into the word of God. We're going to move around. I know some of you say I have a hard time following when you move around the Bible as much as you do. But uh, i got to tell you that I could have discussion with you. You can ask A number of the people in this room, if you want to talk about free will and predestination, I can talk with you all day long. We can debate, and we can talk, and we can have conversation. But today, I want to show you what the Word of God says about predestination, about the sovereignty of God, about God's will, and also about man's will. I want to show you through the word of God, things that we can hold on to, whether we like them or not, that'll be those guardrails that we set up last week to keep us on the center line, which is Jesus Christ. You see, all of scripture is about Christ. Whether we're talking about the sovereignty of God or the goodness of God, it is all pointing back to Jesus Christ. And whatever we learn today, may we walk out of here saying, praise be to his glorious name. Let's look at the scriptures. We're going to start out with a couple of scriptures. We're going to look at Romans 9, 16, and we're going to compare it to Revelation 22, 17. Romans 9, 16 says this, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So it depends not. Listen to what the scripture says. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Turn over with me to Revelation chapter 22, 17. Chapter 22, verse 17. Reads as follows. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That word desires there would be translated, the King James translates it like this Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely. Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely. So we have this seeming uh, contradiction or this bumping of heads. It seems as if they're teaching two different things. It seems as if it's saying that, that salvation and the work of God is not dependent on the human will whatsoever. But it is dependent on the mercy of God. But then we have another text that says you must will to come. That salvation is is partly due to your willingness to come to Jesus Christ to be saved. So how must we reconcile these two things? Because we know that the word of God is truth. We know that, that one truth cannot deny another truth and they cannot contradict. Nowhere in the scriptures is there a contradiction at all. Nowhere. So we say, where is the middle line? What must we believe about God's will and man's will? What is this big word that everybody's so scared of? Predestination. You see, today's sermon will cause some tension on some levels and in some hearts. It'll cause some, can that be right? It'll cause some tension, it'll cause some friction, but that is the whole point. Will you submit to the word when you come against that, which is scraping against you, which is gnawing at you, which is telling you that you are wrong? Will you submit or will you push back against the word of God and say, no, it can't be? Will you be transformed by the renewal of your mind is the whole question. What I want to do is I want to set a couple of things up. I want to set for you. I want to talk to you about predestination, this big, huge word that everybody's scared to death about. You see, I've had some people ask me when I start to talk to them about the sovereignty of God or they want to ask me about the sovereignty of God, and I always get the same responses, seemingly, and it depends on which side they're on, as if they should be on a side. I have people come to me and say, Oh, do you believe in that predestination stuff? We're going to address that here in just a second. They say, are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminian? Now, most of you in here are probably saying, huh? What is that? That's a good thing. Don't worry about it. Amen. But when people ask me, they say, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? I say, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Arminian. I'm a Christian. Ask me about one of the specific doctrines that they teach, we can discuss it. Ask me what the Bible says about this or that, we can discuss it. But don't identify me with any camp and don't put me in any box. I believe God and I believe what he says. We must take what each person says and compare it to the scriptures and we can let the dross float away, we can let the impurities float away, we can let that which is wrong float away and we can hold on to the truth that they speak. Which is what I'll tell you today. If you find anything that I say to be offensive, if it's because I've been outside of the scriptures, then let it go. Come and talk to me about it. We will reason together. But if it's in line with the word of God, then you deny the truth that I speak to your own peril. Because it's the word of God. So then, let us get into this and let us just be as plain as we possibly can. Let us just say exactly what we're all thinking. Let us, let us speak the truth without hesitancy and let the chips fall where they may. Okay? What you laughing at, Scott? <laughs> number one, number one, salvation is not dependent on man's will, but God's. Salvation is not dependent on man's will but God's will. As I've spoken to people about this before, it seems as if something rises up in them, and something did rise up in me when I first started looking at this, and I say, no, it can never be. This is dependent on what I do. It's my choice. I'm the owner of my destiny. God has done a work, but it's now dependent on me. It is dependent on what I do and what I say and what I choose. But I want to show you a couple of reasons why I so aggressively and plainly state salvation is not dependent on man's will, but on God's will. Number one, all of creation, the first point, all of creation is a witness to this for God's a creator, for God is creator and the first cause. If we look at, and, and Romans chapter 1 would say this, that he displays all of his attributes. He displays himself in the creation. And so as we look at the creation, as we look at God's handiwork, we can see certain attributes that carry themselves throughout all of his work. What I mean is this. When God first calls the sun to be planted in the sky, who was there to counsel with him? Did the sun come to him and say, I believe I would like to be in the sky? No, it did not. When he first caused the moon to rise, did the moon come and say, I would like to be here or there? No, it did not. Was there anyone there to sway God one way or the other or to initiate God's creation of a thing? I say not, but that all of creation will look at God and say, you deserve all the honor and glory for anything that is good, for we had nothing to do with it. All of creation would cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The second point there I want to make, which is very clear, is that Scripture is amazingly clear on the point. Scripture is amazingly clear. I wonder how many of you are sitting there with just teachers saying, it just can't be. I've always heard it. You see, in this Southern Baptist circle right here, in the the unit of churches around this area, this for years, and maybe you're not aware of it. Maybe you are. Maybe right now you're wondering, oh, my goodness, where am I? I?" this, This idea has been so controversial, I don't know why. I know of churches in our area that have fired pastors because they believe in predestination. Amen. I do. do. I've know, they have fired them. They have told them you cannot come back here because you believe in predestination. I don't understand. And I'll show you why. Let me show you why. Let the word of God show you why. Let's look at Romans chapter 9 verse 16 where we just were. Romans chapter 9, verse 16. If this isn't clear enough, I've got a ton of others. Listen to what it says then. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. When I put salvation is not dependent on man's God, I could have just quoted Romans nine sixteen. Why do we have such a hard time saying that salvation is dependent on man? No, that's a lie. The word of God is clear. So then, it depends not, it does not depend on human will. It does not depend on human will, or exertion, or work, or fighting, or moving. But it depends on God who has mercy. I cannot say it enough, or more clearly, can I? Let's continue on because it actually does get more clear. Look at John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. John chapter 1 verses 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. Listen, there is not another word phrase. There is not another pairing of words that could be more clear on this point. Listen to what it says. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You cannot get more clear than this. It is not by the will of the flesh, nor by blood, nor by the will of man, but of God. It is God and God alone who starts this willing in your life. Again, John 6, Jesus Christ himself says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And the nail in the coffin, as it were, I want you to look with me in Ephesians. Ephesians. I'm going to read chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 first, and then we're going to do the one that I think is as clear as you can possibly get, if it could be any clearer. Each Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, read in this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. You see, some would say, yeah, God has done some work, but now it is up to me to have faith. No. Even your faith is not of yourself, but is a gift of God. All of this is leading to a place, and I know that some of you may be worried. I know my wife's worried to death, but where this is going, <laughs> I want to show you why you shouldn't be worried about predestination, but instead you should glory in it. This is a truth of God's Word, not to be cast aside and scared of. That's crazy. You see, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that that salvation is by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Your faith does not even belong to you. The word of God is very clear here. This is not some teaching that I'm coming up with. I'm reading the Bible to you. I am reading just straight out of the word of God. This is what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one can boast. You see, if your salvation hindered on your having faith and on your choosing, you would be able to stand back and say, yes, I chose God. God didn't choose me. I chose him. I initiated this work. I did this. It was my believing. It was my doing. It was my choosing. You see, God will have none of it. What I preach today is supreme glory and honor given to our great God and King Jesus Christ. May you take none of it. Ephesians, the great nail in the coffin. I'll just read the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Just follow along as I read. You see, I don't understand the question of do you believe in predestination. That's like asking me, do you believe the Bible? Raise your hand if you're following along with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not giving you my opinion. Basically, all I've done so far is read the Bible. The Bible says, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, before the foundations of the world he has chosen you. That we should be holy and blameless. In love he predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ. The Bible plainly teaches that he predestined us. So then we come to this truth. Predestination is true and it's biblical. Does anybody disagree with the word of God? So now we come to this conclusion that predestination is both true and Biblical. This is the word of God. Now, what we must do now is figure out why predestination scares some people and why it is that we have such a problem with this word. Why is it that, that men of God have been fired because they believed a doctrine that is clearly taught in the scriptures? Why is it that that people are ridiculed for believing something that is plain in the Word of God, plain in Scripture, plain in our life? Why is it? Well, I think that there are several reasons, but today uh, I want to outline for you some misconceptions about predestination. I think this will help us in figuring out just what should we believe about this predestination. Because a lot of the times what happens is, People get to talking over the years and and a word or an idea, it gets this cloud around and it gets these presumptions around it and we start to hear things about it and that what we hear, our culture, the influences around us will start to become to us as important as the word of God. May it never be. May it never be, but may the word of God transform us may we say well this is what I've always heard but I don't believe it anymore because the word of God is going to be true in my life and I know it is. So let's look at some misconceptions of predestination. All the questions that you've got remember to be uh, texting them to the thing. We'll get to as many of them as we possibly can. The first uh, misconception uh, about predestination I have called Scooby-Doo predestination. Scooby-Doo predestination. You know scooby -Doo doo you remember him? Well, what did Scooby Doo do? Oh man! <laughs> what did Scooby Doo do? <laughs> you know, what did he do? What was the what was the what was it? What was the team called? The mystery, oh, it was the Mystery Wagon. What was the team? Was it the, machine. the Extreme Machine? Mystery. The Mystery Machine. So then, what they do? They solve mysteries, right? That's what we're here to do today. We're here to huh? Oh, I thought I'm sorry. We're here to solve a mystery. Because it's mysterious to me why everybody has a problem with predestination, but it's clearly taught in the scriptures. Is it not mysterious to you? For those of you who are not aware of the whole big controversy and the, and the issue, you've never even heard of Calvinism. Is it, is it weird to you that somebody would have a problem with a, with a doctrine so clearly taught in the scriptures? This means yes. Keep doing it. I've got to look around and see. No, not like this, like this. Is it weird to you? Yes, okay. Several of you, it's weird to you. Well, let me shed some, now some of you, it's not weird to you, it is you. You're like, I don't know who this guy, I'm about to leave right now. Well, let me calm some fears because let me me share some misconceptions about predestinations. I've also labeled it as false demons. You know, uh, Scott shared something with me this morning that I thought was just really good. What Satan, his his works and and what he desires to do is several different things. He showed me a list that he had written down. And I think as he goes through life, he likes to look at a situation and say, is this happening or is that happening? And it might identify the enemy's handiwork at hand. Is that true? I don't want to misrepresent. I thought that was good because one of them was is that Satan likes to disguise. Is that right? Distract. Satan likes to distract us from the truth of, truth of God. He likes to twist the truth of God. He likes to turn it. He likes to make us think one thing about what the Bible teaches so that we won't agree with it. But let me tell you right now that, that all of God's word is true. All of it works together. And it's all a glorious truth that we should not only believe, just believe it, but we should grasp it. We should wrap our arms around it. And we should give it a big fat kiss right on the lips because we love it. And we should say, God, how are you speaking to me? What's the truth of this word right here? And how does it affect my life? Let me show you a couple of misconceptions about predestination. The the first is Scooby-Doo predestination. Now, what I know about Scooby-Doo, and I'm not preaching Scooby-Doo, but I like Scooby-Doo. What I want to show you is is that when he went to a crime scene, when he went to some type of, uh, of incident, when there was something going on, he always dealt with a ghost. Now, he always dealt with some type of evil presence. He always dealt with some type of, uh, of something trying to attack him and come against him. But what did Scooby do find every single time at the end of the show? Yeah. Not Scooby snacks. You would be thinking about Scooby snacks at a time like this. What did he find at the end of the show? The villain. The villain but what about the villain? He was always a fake. He was always a fa- it was always it was always in disguise. It was never like what it appeared to be. You see the enemy has tried to dress this whole thing up in something that it's not. It's something that it's not what the enemy has made it out to be at all. Now I will I will tell you and I will agree that some of those who have elevated one doctrine over another doctrine have taken this truth to an extreme that it shouldn't be taken. And in that, it is very dangerous and very harmful. It leads to places that we don't need to be. But we're not going there. We're going to say, okay, your word teaches predestination. Now, how should I feel and how should I understand what you clearly taught in your word? First misconception, false demons or the Scooby-Doo, predestination you see some say that predestination requires robots with no will or love they say that predestination automatically requires that we have no will that we are robots that we are not operating under love but we are operating under a forced obligation that God has predestined us therefore he makes us do what he says do you feel that do you feel that weight? You could go down that trail if you wanted to. You say, well, we read in Ephesians 4, he, he, uh, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. So uh, those who are chosen are chosen. But this is a false problem. This is not really a problem. As a matter of fact, if you would have just thought about it for a minute, you would have to understand, even if that wasn't written there, that's the way it would have to necessarily work if God knows the future. If God is already there, You see, God, now I don't have time to go into all this. We can do more of this discussion in the class next week if you want to come. But real quick, if God stands outside of time and he's transcendent, which which means he's not held to time, he's not held to the here and the now, but he exists as the great I am. He is I am then, he is I am now, and he is I am back then. He is I am everywhere. He is, he just is. You see, God's not just here, he's also there. So if God's there and it's already done over there, can it happen another way? No. Can it happen another way than God knows it's going to happen? Not if he knows it's going to happen that way. If it's happening another way, he wouldn't have known it was going to happen that way. So how's it going to happen that way? All right, I just lost every one of you. Let's get back on track. My whole point is this. It's that God is sovereign. And when we say that it's already been done, don't you understand that God... Has already done it all. He's not waiting. He's not wondering how it's going to turn out. He's not rubbing his hands in expectation, right? He's there. He's enjoying eternity there. So let's look at this for just a second. It says that some people say that predestination requires robots with no will or love. And the whole thought process is, if it's already done, then I have no choice. I have to do it, and I'm forced against my will to do that which I don't want to do. May it never be. That's a lie straight from hell. Okay? That's a lie of Satan and it is a twisting of the word. This is not true. Because we know reading the Bible all all throughout that it says whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever. You see God is longing for you to come. God is, is looking for you to come. God in his infinite predestination and foreknowledge chose you in him before the foundations of the world. But he has never forced a man to do anything against his will. You say, oh, how can he do it? (laughs) Let me show you because it's wonderful and I love it. And there's so many good illustrations that I can show you. Oh, it's going to be so good. Okay. Ephesians, no, yes. Ephesians, no, yes. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4b. I'm so excited, okay? Now listen to this. How can God choose someone before the beginning of time and still have them will it to happen? Wouldn't he have to force them if it's already done? Don't put that on God. You didn't read that in the Bible. Will it happen for sure? Yeah. Will he do it against their will? No. Let me show you how. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we just read this, but I want you to pay attention. Pay attention, okay? Chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoptions as sons. How did he do it? In what? In love, he predestined us. He predestined us in what? In love. You see, the, the, the common misconception is that there's no love involved in this, that he forces us to do, that he makes us, that he compels us because he is dominant over us and he's, he's, a, he's a reigning judge and he's powerful. And he says, you do it or you die. But the Bible clearly tells us that it is in love that he predestines. So how can God have his will be done for sure and predestine us before the very foundations of the world were ever even in place. But do it so that we still willed it to happen because that's clear in scripture as well. But at the same time not force us to do it. Well, let's turn over to another place because I believe this is very, very helpful. I had to write a paper in uh, college when I, was, when I was going to North Greenville University. And I had to do this uh, huge uh, hermeneutics paper and I had to dig and dig and dig. And, and it had to be a minimum of 30 pages. Well, when I got to 60 pages, I said, oh, Lord. Now, I did this on about 10 verses. That's how deep the Word of God is. And I had to pare out, and I had to cut back, and I had to cut back. And finally, I got it down. You can ask Kelly if this is a true story. I finally got it back down to 30 pages. But I want to tell you, it was one of the most significant finds I've ever seen in my entire life. Let me read a verse to you that you've probably just read right over. This is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to this glorious, glorious truth. Paul writes in verse 11 of chapter 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Listen to this. Here is the point. For the love of God, I'm sorry, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded This, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. What does it say? For the love of God, what? Controls us. Maybe you'd have just read right over that. But do you understand the the implications of this? He's saying that that I'm controlled by the love of God. Now, how can that be? How can it be that, that love would control you? or love would compel you, or love would make you, or love would force you. He says, the love of God controls me. Let me, let me do it this way. I'll give you a, a real-life illustration that I, I think will help you to just bask in this truth and not find tension in it. I can, I can come, okay, I can desire for my son to do something, okay? I can desire for him to do a certain thing. Let's say, take out the trash. Okay? I can desire for him to take out the trash. I can desire for him to do a chore. And I can try to dominate and make him and force him. And I can tell him, I'm going to tear your tail up if you don't take that trash out. Now, he may do it. But it'll be out of what? Obligation and fear. He won't desire that whatsoever. But is there a way... That I could cause him to do it. And I would be the one causing him to do it. While at the same time not at all affecting his will. Or forcing him to do anything. Or manipulating him. But to just cause that in him. And me be the cause of it. But for him to choose freely to do it. Is there a way? Sure there is. How? Love. Love. Desire. Passion. You know I've done it before. You know what I do? I say I bet I can outrun you to the trash can," he said. "No, you can't. He won't, What does he want to do? He, you know, he's not really care about taking out trash. What does he want to do? He wants to race Daddy, because he sees this is this is us having fun together. This is relationship. This is intimacy. I, I say, I, I bet I'll bet you I, you can't carry. That. I bet you can carry that, can't you? Now you say you're manipulating him. No, I'm not. I'm building him up. I'm letting him see that to do with me and to walk with me is good. I've not made him do anything. As a matter of fact, he's never wanted to take out trash more in his life. I'm telling you the truth. A little bitty eight-year-old with two bags of trash on each arm, smiling ear to ear, walking to the trash can. Come on. God is not, contr- God is not forcing anybody against their will. But in love, he has predestined to us. You see how that works? If you don't want to, don't. But if God has so impacted you that you can't live without him, just know that you are probably predestined. Mm, That's good truth right there, guys. Listen to Romans 6, 17 through 18. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves. Now listen to this. You say, I'm not a slave. Nobody forces me to do anything. Yes, you are. Every single person in this room is a slave. You say, I'm set free by Jesus. Yes, you are, but you're still a slave. You are a slave to something. Wesley said it. You're exactly right. Listen, you say, I thought if we were free in the sun, we were free indeed. <laughs> True freedom is slavery. You say, hold up. He just went off the deep end. Let me, let me, one illustration. I didn't plan this, but I, I love this illustration. If you're completely free in the sense that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want it, wherever you want to do it, are you really free? You see, a locomotive is a very powerful machine. It can, hardly anything can stop it. And it's glorious. You can get on it and you can ride, and your hair will blow in the wind. And you would be like this, you know, you ever seen those Westerns? I've always wanted to ride on a horse next to a train and jump off on the train. I will do that before I die. <laughs> I'm going to have a GoPro on that horse's head. <laughs> Listen, but is that train free? What is, is, is it constrained to what? is constrained to the tracks. What happens if it gets completely free? Which leads to death, destruction. Do you really not want God to be to be in control of your life? Do you really want complete control? Do you really want complete freedom? Really? That's a side note. No free, no extra charges, hand on say. Romans 6, 17. Listen to this. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Having been set free from sin, you are now slaves to righteousness. So now we have a God who has predestined us or chosen us in him before the foundations of the world and through freedom has made us slaves. Now the world, see, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 would say, uh, the world would say, this is ridiculous. Listen to what these stupid Christians believe. They want to become free so that they can be slaves, which God decided before they ever even were born. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But you see, things of the spirit are discerned spiritually. Those who do not have eyes to see from the Holy Spirit can't understand these things. But you and I, you and I, we start to see this truth and we say, ooh. You know, we do goofy stuff like that. Do it with me. Come on, let's do it together. Ooh. No, you got to do your hands too. Come on. <laughs> Even you, yeah. Uh, no, everybody keep them up. We got to do them at the same time. All right, everybody, Come on, babe. Heather, don't shake your head at me. Come on. All right, everybody together. One, two, three. That's what the word of God should do to us. You see, when when it says that we were set free from sin to become slaves of righteousness, do you think that this means that God is like, you will do what I say? No. How then can we become slaves of righteousness? He predestined us in love. So, I hesitate to use this analogy, but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> no, I'm going to use it. Can I use it? Yeah. She's like, I don't even know what you're going to say. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you how you can become a slave to something, but not be forced to do it against your will. Okay? My wife. <laughs> Woo! I love my wife, right? And when, now, when she, I don't know if I should do this. (laughs) There's a flashing light on the screen that says, be careful. (laughs) Listen, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm treading on ice here. I'm already in over my head. All right, listen. Okay, ready? really not as bad as I'm making it when when my wife longs for me and she reveals herself to me you know I can't you know we've had discussions and we've had waffles and spaghetti we've done couples things and and we've had this whole big joke about you know if she leaves the bathroom door open or if your wife leaves the bathroom door open and and she's not quite covered up you know and and you walk by the door you're like You know what I'm saying? I mean, when, 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 when beauty is revealed to us, we can't help but desire it. You can almost say, and hey, baby dog, give me a little slide because I'm a slave to your beauty. <laughs> Woo! Hey, hey, come on. Woo! Yeah. Hey, hey, look. When God, when God, hey, I got brownie points for that one. That was from God, Okay. Listen, when God reveals himself in all of his glory, you can't not serve him. You can't not get on your face. You can't not love him and long for him with every inch and every molecule in your being. You are a slave to righteousness. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I want to be a slave. (laughs) Woo! Yeah, that's what I want to be. Man, this is a good sermon. See, babe, I told you it'd be okay. man that's good stuff so listen but it gets even better it says you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart from what we've not become obedient from fear we've not become obedient from power we've not become obedient from 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 rule or rank we've become obedient from the our heart has been changed god ain't forced you to do anything against your will what he's done is changed your will he showed you he's 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 revealed his beauty and you've said "Mm, you gotta have me some of that (laughs) all right that was a little too far okay (laughs) lord help us now okay listen this is another point here desire passion and love have always been the key to our actions, whether good or bad. Desire, passion, and love have always been the key to our actions, whether good or bad. Now, I don't have time to get into it, but if you want to go and Google something called freedom of inclination. Now, This is a a way to understand the Word of God, uh, but I believe that it is the most accurate view of what free will is. Some would disagree with me. Uh, Mickey and I have went rounds and rounds and rounds. I don't know that he disagrees with me, but we discuss this all the time. Freedom of inclination. This means that you always do that which you desire the most. You You are free to and always will do that which you desire the most. Now, some people say, well, that's not freedom. Yes, it is. You're always choosing that which you desire the most. What you long for, what you crave, you go for. You choose it. You long for it. You want it. If you want to discuss that with me another time, we can. But I'm telling you right now, God has never done anything against your will. But he has always given you what you wanted the most. Now what he reveals to you and what you desire the most is the question. Let's look now at, now this just came, oh, I'm gonna, no, all right, no man, listen, here we are, here we go, here we go, y'all ready? Raise your hand if you're with me. All right, this is fun, let's go. No man has ever been saved against his will. Let's go ahead and clarify that. Now, we were predestined, we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world, we were predestined in love, we, he predestined us in him, Right? As sons, as adoptions, as sons through adoption, he predestined us. We know that our salvation does not depend on man's will, but it depends on God who has mercy, on whom he has mercy. He has done all of these things, but we can also say that we've been predestined. No one has ever been saved against their will. No one has ever been saved against their will. For if they would be saved, they must will to be saved. If they shall save, they be saved, they must will to be saved. The Bible's clear. Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely of the water. So we must will to be saved in order to be saved. We must. No one has ever been saved against his will, but he is saved through his will. His transformed will. Ezekiel 36, 26, that scripture that we have come to know and love so much. God says, I will remove from him his heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. I will, I will take out his spirit and I will, put, I will place my spirit within him. And I will cause him to walk in my ways. You see, God will cause us and move us to be slaves of righteousness through the transformation of our will. It's called getting a new heart. It's called being born again. It is called a transformation through the renewing of your mind. All of these are the same thing. You cannot will to be saved until God wills to change your will. You cannot it is not in you. Romans 14 would say anything that doesn't come from faith is a sin. Romans eight says apart from faith you cannot please God. Any man that would will to be saved, it is because God has acted upon him to change his will. For we all like sheep have gone astray. We'll talk about that more in a second. The Lord pressed this on my heart and I wrote it last night. When my, you, you let it resonate and, and, and bounce off the scriptures that we've been reading. When my eyes were open to see, when my heart felt the weight of the tree, my walls came down, my defenses fell, my hands raised in surrender, my soul cries it as well. His wish is my command, I will gladly die for the Son of Man. As we gaze upon the tree and the savior who died we say i will gladly die for this man any day anytime for the love of christ compels me it controls me the second misconception i want to show to you is some say for god to harden a man is an evil act and is the cause of sin for God to harden a man is an evil act and is the cause of sin. I'm debating whether or not we've got time for this today. Let's see, we can, we can take a break now and we can do a Q&A and I can have more time to spend on this next week. What do you think? Let me give you some scripture. I want you to go read it. You come back next week prepared to dig in. You ready to write? Romans 9, 18. Go ahead and write the the second misconception down. For God to harden a man. Now, I'm saying that this is not true, but it's what a lot of people say. For God to harden a man is an evil and is the cause of sin. Some scripture that you need to read is Romans 9, 18, Romans 1, 24 and 25, Romans 1, 24 and 25, the whole chapter of Matthew 20, and I want you to look again at Romans 9, 16, and you can go ahead and read the whole chapter of Romans 9, won't take you long. All right, let me repeat it all again. Basically the whole book of I mean the whole chapter of Romans 9, but specifically 9:18 and 9:16. Romans chapter 1 verses 24 and 25 and Matthew 20. The whole chapter. Now, I could go on and I could, you know, run through this, but it deserves a little time and I want I want you to anticipate because this is not true. And I will show you why it's not true. I'll show you why you don't have to worry about this. Remember last week the guardrails that we put up. Yes, God is sovereign. But God is good. And he is not evil. So how do we reconcile the fact that the Bible says that he will have mercy on whom he has mercy. And he will harden whomever he wills. Does the Lord harden people? The Bible says he does. Does that mean that he's evil? We'll talk about that next week. It's very good stuff. So come back, bring a friend, okay? Now, let's pray, and uh, then we'll do some Q&A, all right? Cool? You guys, have you sent in some questions? Yeah? All right, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are who you are, God, and there is no other. I love you so much, and I'm thankful, God, that uh, you have done what you have done and and there's no one that can turn away your purposes because they will stand i'm thankful for your sovereign hand i think i'm thankful god that when we pray we can have confidence because you are all powerful i'm thankful that we don't have to be afraid anymore not of predestination but because of predestination we know god that your purposes will stand and that all that the Father has given to you, they will come, and you will lose none of them, God. Thank you. We pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. We only have a couple of questions. They may not have come through, but if you've got some, shoot them now. Uh, maybe they'll come through. If you've thought of one and you've sent it and it didn't come through, uh, maybe you have a chance just to ask it. Uh, question number one. <clears throat> If salvation is dependent on God's will, what about those who never come to faith? Why us and not them? Well, that's actually a lot of what we're going to be talking about next week. But let me give you a uh, kind of a, a, a brief look into why I suggest and I think the Bible teaches that uh, it is not evil or it is not unloving of God to choose some rather than others. Let me read the question again. If salvation is dependent on God's will, what about those who never come to faith? Why us and not them? Great question. Now, some of us would look at that question and we would say, we would look at this whole situation and we would say, it just doesn't seem fair that God would choose some and not choose others. Do you feel the weight of that? Yeah, it, will, it does. It, it, seems, it, seems, it seems unfair, right? It seems like it would be uh, uh, wrong of God to do that, to choose some, but to not choose others. Let me clarify real quick, one, why I think we believe that way, and two, why that can never be, okay? Number one. To say that God is wrong to choose some and not to choose others would automatically assume that you believe that God is obligated to save all. It automatically assumes that you believe that that person deserves to be saved. You see why us and not them the question is not why would God turn away you see in Romans chapter 9 there's a there's an amazing place and let me just read that you're going to go read it anyway but let me give you a little brief uh, place here and a little a little hint and a little look into the scriptures listen to what this says now I know that this is tough stuff and please don't think that I'm saying I've got it all together but I'm just telling you you don't have to be worried let's read the Bible it says for this is what the promise said about this time now I'm in Romans 9 I'm starting and nine for this is what the promise said about this time next year i will return and and sarah shall have a son and not only so but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man our forefather isaac though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad even though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? You see, they had the same question. Doesn't this mean that that God is unjust if he's already decided that some will come and some won't? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week because this is a hardened heart. But this is where we stand on this. It says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. He goes on to say, I will have have compassion on whomever I will. And I will harden whomever I harden. Here's the big idea. For God to choose one would be amazingly merciful and graceful. You see, to say that God is wrong for not choosing some is to say that they deserve to be chosen. They deserve salvation. But God withheld from them what they rightfully should have. And therefore, he is wrong. But God doesn't owe any man anything. As a matter of fact, we should all be burnt up we should all be under the wrath of God the second part of that is is that God is not the cause of them to not come to him now this is a little bit harder to understand and it gets a little bit intrinsic here it gets a little bit a little bit complicated but let me tell you this God because He doesn't bring them out of condemnation doesn't mean He calls them to go into condemnation. Because God does not bring them out of condemnation does not mean that He calls them to go into condemnation. Does that make sense or does that not? Let's, let's do it another way. If my son is standing by the stove, okay, in our oven at home... it's old and it's pink. (laughs) Not by choice. By the foreknowledge of God, I guess. Our oven gets extremely hot on the outside of the oven, but it's not so hot that it would hurt you or scar you. Okay? Now, if my, my son has gotten close to that before, and I've told him, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. But he'll touch it anyway. Now, one time he came into the kitchen, and I knew that he was going to touch that. But I needed him to feel the weight. I needed him to feel the pain. I needed him to know what it was like to disobey my voice, so I allowed him to touch the hot stove. I knew it wasn't going to hurt him, but I I allowed him to touch that hot stove. Why? Because my purposes were greater. Now, he could have very easily looked at me and said, you could have stopped that. But I didn't make him do that. It wasn't my fault he touched that stove. I didn't say, hey, go touch that stove. You see, we have to go back to the goodness of God. God works all things together for the greater good. You see, why does he choose some and not others? We don't know that. We All we can say, we do know this. This is all we can say, and we speak where the Bible speaks, and where it doesn't, we shut up. What we can say is God is working all things together for the greater good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that his purposes will stand. We know that he predestined some and not others for the express purpose of his purposes standing and his will being done. Now, beyond that, we don't know. We can't say. You see, when my son walked into that room, my purpose was I needed him to feel it so that he would know he could trust me that it's hot like I said it was hot. So I allowed him to touch the hot stove. Now he done that of his own will. You see, if any man go to hell, it's not because God, but it's because of him. And God is never wrong. God is never unjust for not doing something. God can do whatever he wants. So the question is, if salvation is dependent on God's will, what about those who never come to faith? That's their choice that's their choice we all have a choice they've chosen the things of darkness rather than the things of light they have hated God and God has turned them over to their passions and their lust why us and not them good question good question I don't know so the purpose of God might stand but I'll tell you this shouldn't cause you to shake your fist at God. It should cause you to hit your face because you're unworthy. You should have died too. But for some reason, he chose you. That causes us to shake our fists. No, no. It causes us to raise our hands. God, why'd you choose me? You had nothing to offer God. There's none righteous, no, not one. You see, if we hold to the position that it was us that chose, then we can look at someone else and say, I was chosen over you because I'm smarter. I figured it out. I was wise enough to call on God and you're dumb. I wasn't quite as bad as you know. You both deserve hell. God and his infinite love and mercy. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Second question. For those who never hear the gospel, are they condemned? Yes and no. Uh, The Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1 would say it this way, let me find it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men by who, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so, that we, so they are without excuse. Point number one, the word of God says everyone on the face of the earth is without excuse. If they don't come to salvation in Jesus Christ, they will go to hell. They will. Without without hesitation, I will say that's what the Bible teaches. Now, what about someone in a third world country that no one ever gets to with the gospel? Can God work in another way? Do we have any examples out of the scriptures? We got to stay with the Bible. Do we have any examples out of scripture where God just appeared to a man and, and told him what the gospel was, revealed to him who Jesus was? Do we have any examples of that? Name one. Huh? Paul. The Apostle Paul. Actually, the Apostle Paul murdered Christians. He, he killed them. He murdered them in cold blood. One of the greatest men of the faith, one of my heroes in Acts chapter 6, Stephen, was they threw their coats at the feet of a man named Saul as they stoned him to death. And he cried out, Father, forgive them. But Paul, while on the road to Damascus, was met by Jesus Christ himself, knocked off his horse, made him blind, spit in his face, literally, and brought him to life and to the place where he wrote a very significant part of the Scriptures. So will they die apart from Christ? Yes, they will. But can God reach them even if no man gets to them? Yeah, he can. We see it through visions when God is revealed. Uh, it's through the word of God, but that word comes through visions. It comes through uh, God showing up. So they are not without hope. Okay? We got time for one more? One more. Oh, that's a nasty one. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, Number three. What about Children who haven't had a chance to will anything yet, does the Bible speak of their eternity? I don't know why you're going to ask me something like that. Here's what I'll say to that. I won't say a lot to that because the Bible just really doesn't talk about it. Uh, There's no place in the Bible where you can go. The closest thing would be uh, what we just read before uh, Jacob and Esau was born, whether they had done anything good or wrong. Jacob, I loved, Esau, I hated. Here's what I would say about that. Do you believe God to be merciful? Do you believe God to be loving? Yes. Do you believe God to be in absolute control over everything that happens on the face of the earth? I would say we really don't know. We have this one insight into these two children. Uh, We also know that Esau was an evil man. I would say that nobody can answer that question. So in those times where and I would say this, too, is that please never confuse God being the author of confusion, of confusion because he's not with being mysterious. God is, is by nature going to be mysterious to us. There's going to be things where as much as the, the, the pastor standing on this stage, I'd like to say, well, let me tell you the exact answer on that. There's some times where I have to say, I don't know. I just have to trust and so on this place, in this, in this question, I've, I've wondered this for years. I've searched the scriptures. There's no place in the scriptures that speak of this really. But what I do know is that God is so loving and so compassionate and that we can trust him. We can trust him with our babies. Maybe one more. That was a short one. Why is he waiting for all to hear since he knows who is coming before the end? We'll actually get into this too. This will be along the same lines of why should we pray? You know, why should we go? Why should we evangelize? Why should we meditate? Why should we do any of these things? If it's already done, then why should we do anything? Now, I'll just give you a quick uh, insight to what I'm going to talk about next week. It'll be, we'll do the why does God harden and why should I pray next week. But I'll give you a little insight. Let's, let's turn the question around, okay? I have people all the time, when I start talking to them about what the Bible clearly teaches on predestination, they'll say, well, what about praying? If it's already decided, why should we even pray? If God is that, is that controlling everything, if he's that sovereign over everything, why should we pray? Well, let's, can we turn that question around? Can, can we say, why would you pray if he's not? Why would you pray if God's not all-powerful? Why would you pray if he's not in complete control? Why would you go forward if you didn't know God has this? Why would you go into a third-world country wondering whether or not God's going to complete the task? You see, it's, it's simply the reason that God is sovereign. That's the reason why we go. That's the reason why we pray. You see, other than that, with, outside of God's sovereignty, our prayers are nothing more than Hail Mary's with a 50-50 chance, maybe. But if God is sovereign... If he is all-knowing and all-powerful, if he knows the beginning to the end, if he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and he tells you to go into this place or to get on your knees or to pray this prayer, then you do it because he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and you can be sure that whatever you ask in his name, he will do it. That's the Bible. That's the Word of God. Why is he waiting for all to hear since he knows who is coming? Because he's playing it out, and he's allowing you to come along. I've had somebody tell me, say, why not? Can't God just go save them? Sure he can. As believers, why would we look at God and say, "Why well, you want me to go over there? You can do it. I don't know if you're a believer. I don't know if you're a believer. I don't know if you're saved. Because you're not being compelled by the love of God. Because those that are compelled by the love of God and who are slaves to righteousness wouldn't say, will not you go? They would say, thank you. Yes, I'll go. Thank you. Th- I know you can do it, God. I know you don't need me. I know that you could go over there and you could just appear to them in a vision and you're going to save it. Jesus Christ said, all that the Father has given to me, they will come to me. And I will not cast any of them out. All that will come, I will lose none. Jesus Christ is going to save them. God is going to save them. But our great God and King is looking at you and say, you want to come play? Amen. You want to come play? Yes. Yes, come Two bags of trash. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. I'll go. I'll go. Here I am. Send me. I'll go. Send me. Isn't that good? Why why would why would God be waiting? Because He's letting it play out. He's God. He's enjoying this. He's enjoying seeing you. Come to faith. To grow, to be used by Him. Just like I see my son, you know, it doesn't make me all that happy that he's taking out the trash. I'm glad he is. You know what makes me happy? When he's taking out the trash with a big goofy smile on his face. And he's like me, my two front teeth are a little bigger. So he's like, You know what, and I'll end with this. You know what 1 John says? In this is love. Let's all stand to our feet. Listen to this. In this is love that we obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome to us. Slaves to righteousness, yeah, but not bearers of a burden. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. We love to run for our king. We love to scrub toilets at the well. Anybody raise your hand on that one? <laughs> we got a sign-up sheet outside. We love God. We love to run for him. We love that God is sovereign and he knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't, that don't hurt my feelings. Praise God. He's got it under control, guys. He can't lose. Tomorrow's already decided. Tomorrow, The next day's already decided. The following day, you cannot be defeated if you're in Christ Jesus. For his salvation is sure and no one can sway his hand or look at him and say, what have you done? for he is God and there is no other. I can't wait till next week when I, when I relieve you of the thought that God could possibly be evil in his motives, that God could possibly be charged with being unjust or sinful in his decision to harden some. I'll give you this insight. Does God harden by affirmative action or by passive action? hardens the heart whatever you've heard today you say who then can come if it's already decided that some of you in this room will come to Christ how do we know who it will be maybe you're standing out there and you say I want to come but I just don't think I'm the chosen First part of the sentence. The first part of the sentence. I want to come, but I don't think. No, no, no. If you will it, brother. If you will it, sister. Just know that that is the indication that God wills it. If you desire, know that God has already desired. If your heart is moved, it's because God has moved it. Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely from the fountain. Will you come? Then you can. Will you come to the king? Then come to the king. If you've willed it, it's because God wills it. Praise his holy name. For he wills for you to be saved. Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely from the fountain. Who in here is thirsty? Raise your hand now. Who in here is thirsty for God? who in here longs to be with Him and drink deeply of the truths of God, then you are chosen, my friend. If you have no desire for the Lord, if you have no longing or no willing to come to Him in the very least, then I don't pray that you would just change your mind. I don't, no, I don't, I don't pray that maybe you would come around. I don't pray that you would be convinced I don't pray that, that maybe someday. No, I pray God change his heart. Change his will so that he would want you and desire you. I pray the same for me, people of God. I've experienced my own sin this week. and As, as I've studied this, at the same time, I have come to the realization that there is nothing good in me friends if we were left to choose God we never would he must choose you let us pray let us pray that God would change our hearts that we would desire him how many of you need to desire him more then the the front is open. Let us pray because God is sovereign. You see, if He's not sovereign and powerful, there's no reason to pray. He can't do anything anyway. What would you pray? What would you pray? But God is sovereign and His purposes will stand so we get on our face. You know somebody who needs Jesus? Yes, me too. Do you need to go and talk to Him? Yeah, me too. But you know the the most important thing you could do is pray. Because you can't do anything, but God can change the heart. God can change their hardened heart. God can, can He can turn around their, their, their unwillingness and He can change it into willingness. He can take their, their undesire and turn it into desire, just like He did in you. Prayer gains all the power in the world under a sovereign all-powerful God Jesus is that God and he secured this through the cross and his ascension and he sent the Holy Spirit back to guarantee that we would never pray in vain the altar is open for any that would come to pray for more Desire that would pray for another in their salvation, that would pray to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he would move on us and that we would be moved, not by forceful compulsion, but by the love of a wonderful God. Come, let's worship him.